0: Full Table was established to create a space for people to share their passions, be vulnerable, and celebrate our commonalities and the shared human experience. This is undermined by the racism and ignorance occurring in the United States to this day. Follow along as I sit with members of the Black community to hear their stories, their unique perspectives, and to listen as they help educate myself and others on these issues. On today's episode, Full Table chef, Allie Jensen, sits down with Sebastian Craig, her friend and colleague, to listen, discuss, and learn. Enjoy. Here we are with Sebastian Craig. Uh, Welcome to Full Table.
1: Thank you, thank you very much.
0: Yeah, so um, Sebastian, if you wouldn't mind just going into detail, just giving us a quick introduction, uh, that would be great. Uh,
1: Yes, so uh, my name is Sebastian Craig. Uh, I'm a restaurant professional, I I won't go into the whole resume, but Allie and I know each other from a a restaurant called The Progress in San Francisco. It's a wonderful place with a great chef, a great team of individuals working. Uh, I met you first briefly when I was uh, working at The Riddler, which is a Mm -hmm. champagne bar. And um, uh, just from the very beginning, you've just always been a, a burst of light and energy and You've always been the kind of person that uh, people in our industry want to work with because you make it so easy to work alongside you. So (laughs) I I hope that works as an introduction.
0: That's excellent. Thank you. I have to say the same about you, too. Well, thank you. Um, So I haven't been in San Francisco in about a month, um, but I was wondering if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about uh, the atmosphere and the climate in San Francisco and you know, specifically, I know you live in the Tenderloin. Um, how has life been over the course of the last couple of months with COVID nineteen, as well as with all of the uprisings and uh, the chaos going on around the country?
1: Yeah, I think what's clear about the pandemic is that it it uh, underscores all of the already existing problems uh, in, in the in the world, really. But more specifically. Uh, in in this city and in this country. So with the pandemic, um, you know, the the personal issues are uh, that of isolation. Um, In a city where I think that's already an issue uh, that becomes uh, compounded. Um, There are clear uh, issues of demographic, uh, uh, poverty issues, racial issues and you see that so the the streets in my mind look a lot like many um uh, films about the collapse of the future you know like the day after the bomb hits or something of that nature and so you walk down the street a lot of homeless people out a lot of mentally ill people out um it varies from neighborhood to neighborhood so if you're you know i i live um right around where Polk Gulch is. So at, at the bottom of that gulch, or I guess the mid part of that gulch, a lot of homelessness as you walk towards Russian Hill, it gets better, it looks more normal and there are more services and shops, but people are wearing their masks and there's a lot of hesitation about how close you can be and yeah. you know, whether you, you know, you're wearing your mask or not because up until maybe just about two weeks ago, you didn't have to wear your mask if you left your house, you needed to wear it. If you were standing within six feet of someone, or if you were going into a store, now the uh, the request, I suppose, or the suggestion is that you wear it whenever you leave your house because you're going you're going to come into contact with someone, so you want to have it on you're ready. It you know, there's no real enforcement behind it. All the enforcement is, is sort of social. Yeah. Um, so it's, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, San Francisco looks—it's—it's just—it's terrible to be in. It just feels heavy and sad, and it, the sadness isn't around what I can or can't do. It's you see all the the issues of homelessness and and mental illness, and you realize that these people are—you know—they're not on the unemployment rolls. They they have no solution to what's going ah. on, um, and it's just—it's—it's it's grotesque. It's a grotesque way for them to live, and for all of us to live together. So yeah, absolutely. That's my summation.
0: Well, I think it's really well put and it's it's such a wild time we live in. Um,
1: What's it like where I, you are?
0: Uh here in Colorado, it's been it's been really nice, we honestly, it's been kind of weird because we've been living in this bubble um on the top of the mountain in my friend's house and it's been Um, honestly like I hate to say it but pretty enjoyable to be in this little bubble because we have all the the comforts we need and it's been um, quite the juxtaposition between my life currently and what my life will be in a week when I head back to San Francisco so it's been um, you know people are a little hesitant to interact when you go to the store everyone's wearing a mask and everyone's like kind of afraid to even look at you in some ways Mm. Um, that's always a really weird feeling. It's kind it's really bizarre to, to interact with people even less than normal. Right. Like I think in some ways living in a big city, you already want to interact less with people because you just don't know who they are. Right. You don't know, know what they have to offer. If it's something negative, especially in the high, I guess like high risk, I guess is how you would say, or just like the more impoverished areas, it gets a little dicey, you know, you know there's a lot of like you said, a lot of um mental instability and it gets scary. So you, you wanna be protecting yourself and then all of a sudden there's this invisible terrorist that's coming around and um that can be really scary and yeah. really challenging.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's it's true. Well I'm I'm glad that uh you have so far been spared um, yeah. <laughs> the the heaviness that you are about to come home to, um, it, that's a good thing. I mean, I think, you know, one of the strange gifts of this time is that because we're not all at work, there is an opportunity to think about our lives differently and to think about what the next version of normal should be. And, yeah. you know, even though we all want to sort of get back to the things that we miss and a routine um that offers us some form of stability you know the the world wasn't looking so good before the pandemic yes uh and this might be a chance where we can make it at at least uh significantly better when we do return to uh, a normal and maybe deal with some of these other problems
0: Mm. yeah i'd like to kind of uh go into more detail i like the way you said that the pandemic has given us an opportunity to kind of readjust and I think in, and I think that's why um, the the recent violence and the death of multiple people over the course of the last two or three weeks four weeks even has really uh, am- been amplified because of the fact that we don't have a lot of uh, work and that a lot of people have a lot of free time and you uh, I don't know, maybe you could talk a little bit more about that and how you think that um, the world is changing because of that.
1: Yeah, it's, it's hard to know. Um, obviously, uh, the, the Black Lives Matter movement has been able to use this moment where people have more time to look at the same thing and to really uh, force people to think about systemic racism. That is a very difficult thing to do because, um, to be honest, most of us don't even really understand what that is. Um, yeah. Especially if you're someone who maybe, you know, is really looking at this seriously for the first time, right? I mean, I, I've been saying to some of the people that I talk with, you know, w- w- we are all born into this life, which is. a a series of systems, you know, and and the systems are as simple and complex as, you know, the sewage system, the electricity system, like you're born just flipping the switch or, you know, how, how the internet works. Like none of us really, or few of us, really know how those things work, but we take them for granted, we're born into them, our consciousness is a part of those existing systems and we move forward. Unless we become historians or study history, Only then do we really begin to understand what we're actually living in, how it came to be. Yeah. Well, racism is one of those systems. It is a fundamental system. It's fundamental to the existence of the United States of America. Yeah. And, you know, it it has been, I hesitate to say designed, but certainly innovated, (laughs) which... (laughs) Um, you know, it, it was put in place for economic reasons, and we've spent, as a country, we've spent years honing it. Um, and it works on many different levels, but it's also invisible, you know? I mean, the, the subjects of racism are visible, but the way that it acts isn't necessarily visible. Just, like I said, going from this neighborhood to Russian Hill, which is an eight-minute walk, Mm -hmm. It's as if there are barriers, like, you know, because you see fewer and fewer homeless people as you move into a more affluent neighborhood. But there isn't a sign. Yeah. (laughs) There isn't a sign that says, hey, homeless people, get out of here. But the homeless (laughs) people know, you know, I'm really, I can't really, the police are going to get me over here more than they're going to get me over here. So let me just hang in this place. And that is also, you know, a an element of those systems, but again, until it's forced upon you, you simply live within it. You don't examine it. Like if you're a fish, you're probably not thinking about water. That's just where you are. That's how you're living. No one's going, "Hey, fish, have you ever thought about what this water is made of and how it got here?" I mean, that's not probably. I, I mean, I'm not a fish, so I can't say for sure, but I imagine that's not what they do. Right. And so that's you know that's what's difficult. I, I think. I mean, not to hog up all of the the conversation, but a, a thing that keeps coming back to me is something a good friend of mine said last week. We were on the phone and we were talking about the various current events. And, you know, he was very angry. Um, and he was saying, I don't understand how people are just now looking at this. And I was listening to it and I was like, well, you know, I understand how the structure of things kind of you know, it's meant to keep people separated and in their place. And he said, yeah, but, you know, there's been uh, like a hundred years of blues music, writing, movies, journals. It's, you know, there's a lot of media content, both intellectual and popular, that talks about these structures that allow people to be non-people. Mm. You know, which is, that's that's what racism is. I mean, people... You know people say black life matters but the, the funny thing about it is actually it doesn't that's the point that's the whole point of racism that my life and i mean i don't think of myself as a black person i i haven't thought that way in many years because i it's not a real thing blackness is not an identity as far as i'm concerned it's a designation it's and it is meant to be a non-human designation right so if I right. wanna think of myself as human, I cannot think of myself as black because that's not what it means, right? But but how, he, his thing was like, how could you not know this is going on all this time when it's so widely and thoroughly historically documented? And I I I sort of, I didn't quite dismiss it, but I didn't think about it too deeply when he first said it, but more and more, I guess, That is a good question. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. (laughs) Because it is, you know, especially, you know, if you, like any situation, if you're a woman, you live with sexism everywhere in the world, every moment of the day, in ways that men have to really work to understand, right? And so there are things that you understand that are just like, of course. And there are things that men take for granted. Uh, And I think that's true in any form of oppression. Um, With this particular form of oppression, you know, American racism, um, I I think it, it is really difficult for a lot of people who, you know, I'm working next to a lot of people, and I've been doing it all my life, and I know they don't know anything about what it takes for me to get here. And what it means for me to be where I am. Because everywhere that I go, I'm a runaway. You know, like there's hardly anyone else that looks like me there. And I'm there because I'm escaping something else. I'm escaping. I I I found ways to more or less escape police brutality, escape being locked up in jail, escape a lot of the statistics, but not all of them. Right. And so you are so in one way you're visible and in another way you're completely invisible mm. and it's uh you know, I I think he was his in sense of anger about that was the anger about that kind of invisibility, right? Like, why is this just now a thing to you? It's been a thing his entire life. Yeah. Anyway. So
0: I think that's a really interesting convert. like, uh, conversation to be had it I feel like in many ways people just don't want to uh, acknowledge the things that they don't want to deal with and at this point in time it is like the whole movement the Black Lives Matter movement the George Floyd George Floyd's name Breonna Taylor's name all of the names are everywhere in every fashion that we can like interact with others to con to converse with others Black Lives Matter movement is everywhere, and it's all over social media. And I feel like, in so many ways, for the first time, people are are in some ways like telling white people that they can't sit aside and like let this happen, and like white people being quiet or people are are saying they're allies but not acting is for the first time like unacceptable. Mm-hmm. and I think that it's an interesting point of view, uh, or I guess the frustration is real, it is real, because for, for you and so many other people, this is a real, uh, an everyday, all-encompassing concept, and at this point in time, you know, white people and people who aren't black are, are realizing, like, that this, um, uh, what's the word? This suppression is not just when you decide that you want to think about it. This happens all the time.
1: Right. I mean, yes, I I think that that for the large in in large part, that's where we are in America and worldwide to some degree right now. I -hmm. I think the thing that I'm curious about, you know, before we decided to have this uh, taped discussion you know you were relaying to me about the podcast that you were having and you felt like so many of the topics that you were engaged in were were very they were, they were sort of in a bubble, right? Yeah. They were yeah. I think you used the, the the phrase a cultural bubble. Yeah. And it occurred to you with everything happening, wow, I I am not connected to people in this way like this has never been a concern of mine not out of uh uh animosity or or because you're an uncaring person it just hasn't been a part of your life um yeah in a tangible way and i that's interesting to me like i'm curious like how can you describe and i'm not saying this in an accusatory way like how dare you yeah, yeah. but but like what do you how has your life been so that none of this ever really entered into it. Uh, Can you help me understand that?
0: Sure. Um, I think it stems from where I grew up. So I grew up in um, a Republican household in a primarily white suburban city in Massachusetts. Um, The major... Are the largest communities of or the largest like um non-white communities were uh cambodian guatemalan and i think uh and and that's like pretty much it and then you know you gotta you have a couple of mexican kids you got a couple of back black kids maybe a japanese kid but like for the most part it was white and um You know as a kid you don't realize race you don't you don't think about like oh Jamal's black and I'm white and uh you know Jane is from China and we're all these people that are all together you're just you're my friend and so I grew up with a couple of black kids in my class but we never talked about any of this stuff we all just like played games and had fun and moved on and then you know, progressing further, um, I went to college in another primarily white community, and um, in New York, and so I guess I wasn't even faced with this like lack of diversity until um, I was much older. Like, tr- like I until like seriously, I moved to San Francisco, and all of a sudden there was way more Asian ethnicities and Latino ethnicities. And, um, and all of a sudden, like I was faced with the, um, realization that I was really living in a bubble my entire 24 years of life. Hmm. And for the 25th, I realized like, holy shit. I'm, I don't even realize the privilege that I'd had. And, you know, once, and, and like, yeah, I've learned about slavery. I learned about the oppression of, of minority groups. I learned about, uh, I learned about the oppression of women. Like I'm a woman and in so many ways I feel not oppressed, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's it's one thing to be a woman, but like then there's class, right? So you, depending upon where you actually are within a system, you, you, you can have a lot of latitude, more latitude than a man as a woman, if you're of a particular class.
0: Right. And I mean, I am i was definitely um, I grew up in the middle class. So like in the lower middle class, so it wasn't like I didn't see minority groups, but I I don't know. I it's just really wild to finally experience or come to even close to hearing about, I can't even say understanding, because I I will never understand um, what that really feels like. Because even as a woman, I feel like I've had so many opportunities um, that were not taken away from me because of my gender. And my parents always said, you know, you can do whatever you want, be whoever you want to be, and push to um, be the best. And that should never be determined by what you look like or who you are, but it only de- it is determined by how much effort you put in and how strong you work to make it happen. And so I suppose that maybe I brainwashed myself into thinking that that's all that mattered. And <laughs> so, <laughs> which is silly to say brainwashed, but... Well, I mean, you know, mean, I, you know
1: there's, it's part of... We, we live in that kind of propaganda and, and there is something to it. I mean, you know, people do have... A degree of agency, but mm-hmm. agency is individual. Systems are not, and those are the things that it's hard for us to identify.
0: Right, and so when um, I realized that I had the opportunity a couple, like a month ago, to be a part of something bigger, to be the change that you know I want, <laughs> I want to see in the world, like everyone says. But I, I genuinely never. It never occurred to me that, like, you're black, I'm white, he's Asian, she's Hispanic. Like, I've always just seen people as people, and it's been really hard. And, like, I'm such a, a emotionally driven person that I, like, actually was just so destroyed by what I was learning. Hmm. And really felt like, holy shit, I can't believe how blind I've been. And so it's been really important to me that I educate myself and that I, I get involved and that my community, uh, or that uh, the community, the group, the collective of humans that I interact with and that are surrounding me know that I'm an ally and that I'm there for you and that I will not stand for this oppression and I will not stand for, um, you know, the idea that, like, we're different because we're not different. You and I are just people trying to like live our lives um yeah so uh then you know going over the full table uh docket for the next couple of months and then seeing what we've previously done it hadn't even occurred to me that everyone in our community was white Mm -hmm. That like we didn't even have in some instances we didn't even have a white woman (laughs) like they were all white men right so um yeah, it's been eye-opening and definitely something that we are actively trying to change within our full table community. And I'm really excited for the change. And I'm really excited to, like, live life with my eyes wide open. Um, I hope that answers your question. And <laughs> uh, yeah, I kind of yeah, want... I, I think so. Yeah. And I kind of want to reverse that. Like, how have you been through all of this? And how have you seen or like, what do you believe? Why do you believe this was the spark? Like, these deaths were the ones that caused the entire world to erupt?
1: Well, because the entire world is on lockdown right now. So I I think people can focus on events when they have more time to do so. Um, And and I I think uh, this is a great opportunity for the Black Lives Matter movement politically, right? Because of the stage you have, when you know everyone is looking around and they can see the same thing at the same time. Everything that's happening in terms of the deaths, none of that is new. I mean, it's it happens every day, and mm-hmm. it has happened every day uh, since there have been Africans in America, for the most part. Um, so it's it is truly, um, unfortunately. Uh, anything but unique. Um, Yeah. But even the media depiction of it isn't unique because that's been going on pretty much since there have been cell phones. And I mean, you know, Rodney King was beaten nearly to death on camera for the world to see. And, uh, you know, that that really hasn't changed much. And it hasn't changed much because it's supposed to be this way. That's the thing that I, I think it's really hard for people to understand, this isn't a mistake. And I, I can't say that I feel bad for police at all. However, I, I think it's easy to feel some degree of sympathy for them in that they're doing what they've been told and trained to do in large part. And I, yes, there are you know bad policemen and there are many, 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 many good policemen But the point of the police is to keep segments of the population under a kind of control. That's not something that they decided they wanted to do. They signed up for the job, but like many people who work jobs, you often don't know exactly what the intention of your job is. You're working a job to keep your family alive and how it ends up affecting the rest of the world often isn't your concern and it's not meant to be your concern in many cases, right? Like yeah. The, the head office takes care of the concern part. You just go out there and do <laughs> your thing. Yeah. And, you know, we have this form of policing, not just because people are cruel, but it's intentional. That's, that's the part that I think is really difficult for people to understand. Like, we're not here by mistake. We're here because this is who we are. You know, it, it really is who we are now you can call us Jekyll and Hyde right because there are so many good things that quote unquote black people have done and their allies have done going all the way back uh to slavery to to try to liberate black people and to see humanity across body type right? right but in terms of making a country and how the country is going to work uh Starting with a form of free labor that then becomes hereditary free labor, you know, that was all intentional and law after law after law has honed that process to get what we have today. You know, I was, I was telling some friends of mine, it's kind of like the iPhone in a way, right? Like you keep coming out with versions of it and updating it and making it better and better. And that's why it works so well. And now you're wondering, how do we get this iPhone? You know, how do we get the race phone? Well, because we made it and it worked and we kept improving it, you know? And so yeah. it, it, it's made to do this thing. And if you want a different, if you want it to act differently, you have to redesign it. If you want a different country, you have to redesign America. That's the only way it's really going to change it It's not gonna you know this time will pass because we've done this before it's going yeah. to, it's going to pass. I don't know what the benefits will be once this has passed I mean you know perhaps this conversation is a part of how we advance There are a lot of things happening now. I don't think that they're going to be exactly the same as they were. A month and a half ago mm-hmm. but i don't also know how you change the structure of something without changing the structure of something <laughs> <You know? laughs> i mean if, right. if if you if you want to make an armadillo but all you have is a human frame you're going to need another frame to make the armadillo right you, you it's a yeah. different structure it's a different animal so i don't see a remedy for changing America without redesigning America. Which there, there may be an appetite for that now because that's not necessarily a terrible thing. It's a scary <laughs> thing, it's a massive thing, but it's not unprecedented. I mean, countries rise and fall, you know, there, we, there are many countries around the world that you can point to that are only a couple of decades old, right? <laughs> Um, and we're fairly new for a country. I mean, France has had multiple constitutions since its revolution. We've only had one. Right. Um, so I, I don't know how this is going to end. I don't know that anyone does, frankly, but if you, if in terms of problem solving, I think the education that's going on right now is wonderful. The awareness is wonderful. But if you if all of us want to live in a non-racist world, then we really have to acknowledge what it is and and, and uh, formally, structurally do away with the notion of race and then, and everything that underlies that, all of the, the the laws, the notions, the personal prejudices that have to deal with that, otherwise we're we're going to be the same. Right. Well, wow, it's heavy. <laughs> it, yeah, I mean, it's not me, though. It's, it's what we live no. in, right? I mean, it's, this, is, this right. is the thing in which we live, right? This is all of our reality. We're tied to each other, playing these roles that we're born into that none of us signed up for. I did not sign up to be a black person, okay? <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> I didn't sign we up know. for that. And I don't mean by saying that that I am dismissing the wonderful tradition of fighting oppression that Black people in this country have made real. That's not what I'm saying. But no one born signs up to be thought of as a non-human. And I'm, yeah. I'm confident that you and your parents didn't sign up to be complicit in my non-humanity. I feel pretty confident about that. But that's yeah. where we are. That's what, that's what we live in. So if we want different roles, and or to abandon those roles, we have to look at the underpinnings of them.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's so wild. So it then, is. You know, in this way, like, what do you think are the beginning stages? Like, how do we take a step forward from this like really doom and gloom reality, and how do we? remove the non from non human like how do we remove the race from this situation and i know it's a humongous question to ask yeah. but i i and, yeah.
1: i don't know <laughs> yeah i mean look i mean i think i was joking with a uh, my girlfriend the other day i was saying you know a quick way out of this would just be to make everybody white <laughs> <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah like from now on everybody in the country is white it doesn't matter what you look like that's your designation and so all of the laws fit on that there, there is no more it, 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 there's only one race and everyone yeah. is a part of that race mm-hmm. i mean it's absurd but but race is absurd so yeah. i mean it, how realistic a solution is that? I don't know. I don't know if it's any more or less realistic than the one we live in. I mean we live in a kind of science fiction, right? Right but but you know I it it's a it's a big question. I don't know that it has a single answer it, but I think we do have to look at the fundamentals and the fundamentals are are in the law. And then our our notions about how we categorize human beings mm. um, and, and, and what the utility of that has been and what it still is. And, you know, that's that's a scary thing if we haven't engaged in that before. And until now, we haven't begun to demonstrate the capacity to deal with it on that level. Right. Yeah. So. You know, there are many scholars out there who have who are more articulate than I am and who have uh, grappled with these questions and some of them, you know, collectively, maybe they have a bigger piece of the answer. I I really don't know. It just again, it just it seems to me that, you know, if you want something to set things on while you have dinner, that means you need a table. So you got to go get a table. That's the answer if if you, if you want to do away with racism then you need to look at where it started and understand that it's structural and start to deconstruct that and i don't think you can deconstruct that without deconstructing the united states of america i just don't think that's possible
0: yeah that's really a really interesting um conundrum we were my roommates and i were talking earlier about how all of the, um, or about how all of the Confederate flags and all of the Confederate uh, statues have been um, begun to be torn down. And, you know, how do we, where do we draw the line between who these people are, not just the Confederacy, Confederate you know, statues, but who the people who created the country are and, you know, how, um, like, where do we draw the line between tearing down their statues and calling them an American hero and a patriot? Because, you know, Thomas Jefferson wrote a huge amount of the um, Constitution, I believe, and he uh, he owned slaves and, like, he did a bunch of crazy shit. And then you have, like, uh, you know, so many of our founding fathers, it, like you said, our country is based off of or is largely um, created thanks to slavery and racism. And uh, yeah, I don't know, it was an interesting topic to talk about. It was like, do we, you know, what, what do we do with that? And I think that's, it lends itself well to the reconstruction of the U.S. and that idea.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I don't know that if we reconstructed the United States of America... Around principles that were humane for everyone, you know, you could start with some general things. Everyone believes in fairness. Mm. I think that you know, there's always cheaters. There's, there's always yeah. people who are trying to game the system to get more of an advantage. That happens, but I think for the most part, if you took a national poll and said, "Do you think that fairness is a good thing?" I, I would guess that at least eighty percent of the people poll would say, yeah, fairness is good, mm. which is different from equality, <laughs> right? <Yes. laughs> I, I, I don't know that everyone feels the same way about equality, but that's worth discussing. You know, what, what do you mean by equality, first of all, et cetera. But the point is, I think if you were to reform America on a, a basic set of values, there's a possibility. I mean, the question right now is, what is America? I think that means so many different things to people. It's been, our politic over the last 40 years in particular makes it really difficult for us to form agreements over things and what has been historically divisive between us is only compounded by political gamesmanship. But like one of the things that it's really difficult for us to understand, you know, like just take for instance, the way that the pandemic has been dealt with. Mm. we Our country is suffering from it more than, than most, um, partially because we're the largest, but partially because we have 50 different approaches to it. And then each of those states has different counties and they have different approaches to it. But right. if you look at other countries that have a, a more centralized government, they can say, hey, this is what we're going to do. You know, if you're in Iceland... Denmark, Germany, South Korea, you know, they're doing much better than we are. Okay, right. But they didn't have a, a state's rights issue, which is a, you know, a right to be a slaveholding state. That is the historical reason for our disunity. We, we are still there. That's why you can't federally go, hey, everybody, pandemic, this is what we're going to all do. This state can do it and this state cannot because we have states rights and states rights was about a state's Ability to say we're going to be slave owning or we're not And so Everywhere throughout America right now, you know, it's okay over here pandemic wise It's not so great over there pandemic wise when it's one virus. We're one country supposedly We should have a unified approach to how we deal with the virus. Yes. We have to make some allowances because there will be some degree of, of variance, right? But I think we would have been better off if we had a more unified approach. But we can't do that because of our structural design. <laughs>
0: yeah, definitely. And I got to say, it's definitely not helping that the the presidential seat isn't very unified either. Oh, Jesus.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's... <laughs> that's a whole other relevant conversation but i mean i think e- even why he's in office is related to that i mean it's a larger or or different conversation but you know i i don't know I, I, you and i work in the restaurant business and for our businesses to work we all kind of have to be on the same page right like the, the kitchen has to work with the front of house everybody in the kitchen needs to know what to do they have to they need to follow the chef they need to communicate we need to understand what the kitchen is doing in order to relay that to our guest you th- th- if the front of house and the kitchen and the office are all in different places we can't function we can't yeah. we can't deliver a product an experiential product to our guests yet we live in a country where it's by design <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> the office and the kitchen and the front of house can all kind of do their own thing and expect right. to, to work that's insane
0: yeah yeah it really is wild <laughs> alright great so we'll just wrap this up we'll send it to the white house we'll uh <laughs>
1: <laughs> we'll, we'll make the country to a big restaurant <laughs> yes yeah, it'll be perfect <laughs> that's
0: funny <laughs> I think that'll be great yeah oh man well thank you so much for sharing i think this is an incredibly enlightening conversation and i really appreciate your perspective
1: thank you for thinking of me and including me in in your activity i really appreciate that
0: yeah of course Mm. um just a last minute thing do you have any other um comments you might want to make any Advice to the president, to (laughs) the U.S. Uh, Any last comment you'd like to share?
1: I don't know if I have any advice or comment. I I mean, you know, personally, I miss working with you. I miss seeing your face. So, um, you know, there's that. And uh, I I mean, I don't know that I have anything else to offer uh, anyone that's of any great value. I, I think, you know. The best you yeah. can do anyone can do on any side of any argument is to try to listen and to try mm-hmm. to identify their own resistances to certain arguments and ask what that's about right yeah. um but i I don't know if I have anything
0: no but, I think that's excellent yeah well thank you thank you Sebastian oh, It's my been pleasure. lovely having you and like always these conversations are are uh, held close to my heart. I really appreciate your opinion
1: and well I'm, thank you. very much. Thank my pleasure, and I'm looking forward to sitting down and sharing some wine and a meal with you in person at some point in yes. life. So.